Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dazzle Doctor. This is Misty Coper. I'm here with Dr. Elena. Hi, Dr. Elena. Hello. Good to hear from everybody out there. We've had a lot of email and a lot of listeners, and we're really grateful to have everybody out there uh, joining us in the Dazzle. So uh, for those who are unfamiliar with the Dazzle, we are calling ourselves Dazzle Doctor because a Dazzle is a group of zebras, and doctors are told when they are confronted with something that looks a little different, they're told when they hear hoofbeats to think of horses and not zebras, but people with uh, chronic or invisible illnesses are frequently unusual patients, and we are called zebras because we're the ones that they do have to listen out for something a little more unusual. So if you didn't catch it in our first episode, now you know why we're called Dazzle Doctor. I'm here with my personal physical therapist and now your physical therapist, Dr. Elena. Hi, Dr. Elena. Hello, again, just to kind of circle back to my experience. I've been a PT for 12 years and within the last five or six years, I guess, it's been a lot of learning for EDS focused and it's branched off to being able to provide input and a a resource for people with EDS. Yeah. So uh, for those who haven't listened to us from the beginning, uh, Dr. Elena and I came together out of a patient-doctor relationship where uh, she was seeing me for Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and several of the comorbidities or uh, different conditions that sort of run parallel to that. And she became very interested in Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and chronic illness in general. And we developed a relationship and she opened her own practice, seeing a lot of people with chronic illness as well as other patients. And uh, that's how we have come to this point. Dr. Elena, what did you do since our last episode? What's been going on in your life? Well, I mean, nothing too exciting. I... I'm very excited that we were able to finally publish our recordings for our podcasts. And so we're getting a lot of positive feedback coming in from the community. So that's very exciting. Other than that, house projects has been my focus lately, just because I'm home and see things that need to get done. And so that's what I've been focusing on. Absolutely. I am brand new to, I mean, I've journaled since I was a child, but I've been stuck on that kind of attitude that a journal means dear diary this is what <laughs> happens and I've recently I say recently but really in the last couple of years I've gotten out of that mindset and recognized that a journal can really be anything it's just anything you need to take notes on anything that's happening in your life measurements art all that kind of stuff so uh, in my free time I like to do a lot of art and doodling different things like that so One of the things I put in my journal was a picture of a house, my house, and then I squared it off by room and came up with all the different projects I want to do in my house, even if they're just small, even if it's something as small as adding a chair to a room or something like that, just so that, you know, we have this time where we're home right now, can't get out a lot. And as we get things like gift certificates, say for Christmas or whatever, I, that way I don't go out and spend my gift certificates on something that isn't as, say, practical for my life, I have something to look back on and say, oh, that's what I wanted. I knew there was something I wanted to do with this room. And it also helps me keep my house more steamed isn't the right word, because anyone who's been to my house knows 
there's no real theme going on unless you want to call bohemian eclectic a theme. <laughs> it's cohesive. Yeah, it's cohesive. There you go. At least in my mind, it seems to be that way. So I like this time right now because it's really helped me think about my house in a way that is comfortable for me and convenient. I've been able to make my house a little more efficient. I've been able to uh, make it a little more uh, suitable just for me. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially now with COVID hitting and, and everybody being home so much more, people are spending a lot more time investing into making their houses, not so much showpieces, but comfort, efficient, functional. And I think that that's kind of an ongoing theme for a lot of people nowadays. I think we have a topic for another day. Yeah. How, how we've gone about making our homes a little more friendly, I guess, you know, user friendly. Um, me for, for myself and my condition and you probably just having kids and having the life that you have. And I know you're back and forth a lot. So I know there are ways that you've made your home a little more practical for your uses. And I bet you just knowing you like I do, um, for those of you out there who don't have the benefit of having known Dr. Elena for a long time, she is a, an innovator. And so I am confident that there are things that she uses in her home or ways that she sets up her home that I could benefit greatly from just because I haven't thought about it. Uh, when she and I spend time talking to each other, we are always thinking of ways to use something that we already have in a different way. So I definitely think that's a topic we're going to jot down for later. Yes, I agree. So my week was, it was awkward and it was un, unpleasant, if I'm honest. Um, I'm an optimist and I usually can find the silver lining and there were silver linings, that's true. But for the most part, my week was spent with doctors and doing things I didn't want to do and things that were kind of I'm kind of amazed, honestly, that we've been in this COVID situation now for so long. And the processes that have been set up by a lot of the doctors that I see are not very efficient. And part of this comes from my process manager brain. Uh, this is part of what I did at my job uh, is to come up with processes that are efficient, that don't require the process user, the end user to do more running around that is necessary, doesn't duplicate, that kind of thing. And I'm so very frustrated this week in particular, all the time, but this week in particular, with the amount of time I spend on the administrative side of being sick. And ah, man, this week in particular, I I don't know. I had to have spent at least 30 hours just on the administrative side of having Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And it was extremely frustrating. And I, I'm not sure that the world understands how much administrative time goes into having a chronic illness. And that's definitely a topic that I think you and I are going to need to talk about in the future. It's one of the things for me that prevents me from being able to work full time. I spend so much time on having Ehlers-Danlos syndrome mm -hmm. and all of its comorbidities. It just eats up every hour of my day. It becomes your job. I mean, it's your job to take care of yourself and you have to have the availability to 
go to doctor's appointments and and make sure everything's cohesive and coordinating between doctors because, and I mean, we're going to get into it today in terms of how many doctors you could have and trying to get them all to work on one person and manage one person from a bunch of different ways. It's very daunting. And I mean, we, I know we've talked about kind of trying to find a resource out there, almost like a social work kind of thing or a case management kind of thing and melding that together to help with that stuff because it does become overwhelming and you have to spend so many t- hours filling out paperwork because you want to get so much of that information on there, coordinating with your insurance company. I mean, it, it the list goes on and on and on. It does. And, you know, I, I get frustrated too. You mentioned paperwork. I fill out all this paperwork and then the doctor walks into the room and you can tell they haven't read any of it. It's just so very frustrating. And, you know, there are a thousand other things that are so irritating about it. We're going to have part of what we talk about today and also what we talk about in the future. We want to discuss with you how to get it right when when it's time to, if you want to call it, break up with your doctor how you know when it's time to move on, how to do it with grace, how to do it. Sometimes it has to be done without grace. And we'll talk about that too. I've been there myself. I'm sure Dr. Elena's been there herself. I've certainly been there a lot because as we're going to discuss, when you have a chronic illness, uh, certainly when you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, I know for myself, I have so many doctors It is very difficult when I fill out, let's say, paperwork for insurance purposes or even just for another doctor just to list how many doctors I have. And several of them, and I'm I'm sure many of our listeners can relate to this, are far away. They're not necessarily within 15 minutes of my home like they can be for, if you want to say, a person who is not chronically ill. Even just travel, the travel that's involved is daunting as well. I'm very fortunate and blessed to have a spouse who's able to help drive sometimes, Uh, not always, but he's been very good about taking time off recently to help take me around. But a lot of our listeners aren't going to have that. So, you know, we'll talk some about that as well. Part of what I do is keep a, a doctor group that is closer and also one that's a little further away. And we'll talk about that as Dr. Elena gets a little bit more into discussing our team. And we're going to talk about it more in the future as well. These are topics that we're going to continue to dig into as we hear from you, as we think on it ourselves and ruminate on it. And also as it relates to some of our other topics. You know, Dr. Elena, I think I'm going to turn it over to you. Why don't you start talking to us about how you build, how you recommend a patient builds that team, who should be on that team, and how to think it through, how to sort of interview your doctor, how to decide when a doctor has your best interest at heart, and then also, you know, how to successfully navigate when you find a doctor that is not right for you, and how to uh, build them out of your team, sort of, if you if you want to go into that. Um, I suppose the team that we'll talk about today is maybe a little more Ehlers-Danlos oriented, But probably a lot of people with chronic illness in general will be able to listen to a team for Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and also benefit from that. So I'm going to I'm going to turn it over to you to talk more about that. Sure. And I'm just going to throw out a quick disclaimer. Anything that we talk about on our podcast and any recommendations made are very generalized. I mean, we're just scratching the surface on these. So really make sure that you talk to your go-to person in your medical team to, to make sure that it, it 
whatever we talk about that you that speaks to you, you get clearance on to make sure that it's safe and individualized for you. The same goes for I'm going to go through a list of a bunch of different options for doctors today. Some may be pertinent to you and applicable to to your situation and some may not. I'm just trying to give you a, a jumping off point um, because it can be very overwhelming to know who to seek out and who to go to when you're getting initiated and oriented to the process. Yeah, I, I just wanted to jump in very quickly and say, I've known that I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome since I was very young, since I was a child. So I've had all my years now to work with a medical team to to get to know people, to get to know my condition and know what kind of doctors I might want to see or to see doctors that then had very little um, they could offer in terms of of help. And still, I find out that there are people out there with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome who are seeing doctors that it just never occurred to me I might benefit from seeing. For example, it wasn't until about five years ago that I even thought to see a rheumatologist because I just didn't have that information. It never occurred to me. I don't know why, but it just didn't. So I think this discussion can benefit people who are new to understanding that they have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, but also people who are established and have, have lived with it for a long time may hear something in this discussion that helps them say, you know, I've never actually tried talking to whatever kind of doctor, Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, maybe that would do me some good. There you go. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to jump into this. And my first stepping off point is that once you have your team, you need to mentally designate your go-to person, somebody who will work with you to kind of help coordinate what you're getting from all of the other specialists because it can get very muddled and it's hard to digest and to see kind of how to taper it because you'll be getting information from very many different perspectives and being able to weed through that can be a little overwhelming. I know that as a PT, I am a go-to person for a lot of my EDS patients because they're saying, okay, well, I hear from this doctor that I need to do this, but this doctor is telling me this and this doctor is telling me this. So who do I listen to? And trying to problem solve it and talk through and work on communication to each of those doctors to make sure that the right message is getting across. So find your go-to person that will help you digest it all and be comprehensive with you navigating multiple people, whether that's your internist, your primary care, your PT, It could be any one of your GYN, whoever that person is for you, keep them. (laughs) You mentioned that because I think a lot of people do expect it to be their primary care doctor. For me, it's you and you're a physical therapist. And I don't think that would be a natural place where people would necessarily start. I think if I may interject for a moment, Mm -hmm. what drew me in about you is one, that you were curious, two, that you had a, a holistic thought process, you thought about the entire body and how it works together, all symptoms, all systems rather, Mm -hmm. not just the system that was your specialty, but all of them. And even though you don't necessarily specialize in one, you would encourage me to look into getting a specialist in a a particular body function or system and uh, you're conversational. And it's very clear to me that you're on my side. Mm -hmm. So those were some of the things that I looked for even though Dr. Elena is not my primary care physician, she's definitely somebody that I know is on my side. I know that she's thinking of everything that I bring to her in terms of how it 
affects everything else, not just in a microcosm by itself. Right. So back to you. Sorry, I didn't. No, that's no, no, that's totally fine. I feel like it's something that needs to be said, you know, from what to look for and what would work for people. So diving into it, I know a lot of people when they suspect they have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and haven't gotten that official diagnosis, they want to know who to go to. From my understanding and from everything that I've researched is that the, the only surefire way to get specific diagnosis of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and typing is through genetic testing. So a geneticist would be a part of that. However, I know that at least in our area, there's like a two to three year waiting list <laughs> to yeah. get that testing. So a lot of clinicians will do a clinical diagnosis of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome based on different types of movements, different qualifications that will put you in a category and they can give you that diagnosis. So your primary care doctor can do that, whether that's an internist or whatever other kind of doctor you have as your primary care doctor, just a general practitioner. They can give you a diagnosis. I know that rheumatologists who specialize in joint tissue, even allergy type category, they tend to be more familiar with the ADS diagnosis. So they can also diagnose it. I've had people who have gone to an endocrinologist who works on glands and hormone levels, thyroid stuff. So they can sometimes give that diagnosis. Any of the doctors that are familiar enough with Ehlers-Danlos can technically give you a diagnosis, but those are typically the three main ones that I feel like people would go to to get that diagnosis if they're suspected to have EDS. Did you have any other thoughts on any of those? Uh, I I was also thinking I have an immunologist who treats mast cell. So I, I can imagine, and I did not get my diagnosis through an immunologist. I did get mine through a clinical research uh, study that was going on in my area, which, of course, everybody doesn't have access to something like that. But they did four different tests on me before they finally found the Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So I would also say, add that if you and your general practitioner or your, your go-to person, if you suspect strongly that you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and you get a genetic test and it is not positive, but you and your your go-to person su- still suspect that you do have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, I, I, I person, me personally, I had to go for, for four different tests before they finally found the mutation. And that is unusual. So even within the world of zebras, I guess I'm a bit of a zebra, but I just encourage you to not always take the first answer that you're given. I know that my immunologist is an excellent immunologist, and I suspect that if he found someone who had mast cell, he might also lead them toward a geneticist. I don't think he would much like you, I don't think he would actually make the diagnosis himself, but I think he would point in the direction mm-hmm. geneticist most likely who could then. Right. And I think that immunologist is on my list as well. So I think you that's there in terms of like how, how to build a team once you've got the diagnosis. Yeah, that's what your experience was. And it's good to see because it, there there is no recipe. There is no cookie cutter situation where the same works for everybody. So there's, it's good to hear that there's variations. So then that way people kind of realize the variations that can happen in their specific circumstances. All right. Where was I? 
So (laughs) other people that you definitely want to have in your wheelhouse, some type of pain management doctor, whether that person who is managing your pain is categorized as pain management, or if you're in, you know, your primary care is helping you manage your pain. Typically pain management doctors can get a little bit more creative with their treatment options based on their training. And I should have also said this at the very beginning is that not all doctors are created equal. (laughs) So in each of these categories, do your research, make sure that you understand that someone's experience may not be the same as yours. And a lot of times doctors will learn different skills. And so then their base of knowledge is different, even though they're the same category as somebody else. This is Dr. Alina's very polite way of saying C's get degrees. Or uh, what have I always said? I always say, what do you what do you call a doctor who got a C in college? Doctor. Doctor. That's right. So, you know, not all doctors did did the same work in college. Not all of them had the same experience. And then to Alina, she probably really wasn't saying that. That's 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 really more my style. As you get to know us a little better, you'll realize she doesn't say stuff like that, but I do. <laughs> you hear her giggling in the background. I find both the situation where you have some doctors that just don't have the same knowledge base, and sometimes that is an educational thing. But most of the time, I think what Elena was, Doctor Elena was really trying to say, is experientially, you have some doctors who have just never run across someone in your particular situation. I shared with you that it took four tries for me to be genetically diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, They had to look in a different part of the DNA strand than they normally would look. So that is very unusual. And I guarantee that we have a number of listeners out there who have been in similar situations where they were kind of the one-off because within the zebra population, we tend to have sort of zebra zebras, if you will. and Rainbow zebras. Yeah, rainbow zebras. That's exactly right. And we find a lot of people who have had, you know, this one-off situation and no one's ever seen it before. So at the risk of offending all of our, our poor doctors out there who are really great people but have just never seen something before and educationally are superior, uh, a lot of times it's just they've never seen what's right. going on in front of them before. I, I certainly know what happened to me before my aneurysm rupture. I had a very highly qualified doctor say that I didn't have to worry about that because it was just a, a situation where uh, it happened to my father, but it didn't have anything to do with his Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And one month later, I was lying in a bed with a ruptured aorta. I completely respect that doctor. I think he did everything he could have at the time. I think he was highly educated and did everything that he knew how to do. But I think he just never seen anyone like me before. So sometimes it is a C's get degree situation. And sometimes it's just a I've never seen anyone like you before situation. Right. And I think that a good resource and and typically where I tell people to start is Facebook has individualized pages for geographical areas for EDS. I know at least our area has a couple of them. And a lot of the discussion on there is who do I see for this and who do I see for that? And there's like a running list of qualified doctors that have already seen somebody. So it wouldn't be like, coming in a totally fresh, or I had this experience with someone, they really knew what they were talking about. 
and were willing to work with me and learn more about it. So I would recommend you going to them. My recommendation for kind of getting a jumping off point is check those Facebook pages, seek out the the EDS community and see who in your geographical area would be somebody that you could go see. And sometimes it is somebody who is far away. Um, and luckily, with the way that things have been going with the COVID stuff, people are being a little bit more accessible virtually. So that travel time can be cut down significantly um, using the virtual appointments. And I think a lot of doctors are, you would think by now, you know, they have, they're not in that scramble mode, but I think a lot of doctors who have been in the field for a minute are still getting used to the, the I suppose, flow. I, you know, if I think about it from the doctor's standpoint instead of the patient's standpoint, I'm, I'm confident that there's a lot of uh, people who are still getting to know themselves. So I saw a doctor this week and, and they were in their home and uh, I think they're not used to working from their home yet and have not figured out that maybe they're not the best worker from home, that maybe an office setting would be Dr. Elena is laughing at me because I told her the whole situation. We'll go into it in, on another day, not today. Today's not the day for it. But I think this doctor has not yet figured out that they are not the kind of doctor who, or the kind of person rather, who wants to be um, doing their job from home. They may be one of the people out there who are just not really, that's not their style. It's not mm -hmm. their best how they put their best foot forward. You know, it takes time to figure that out about yourself. There are a lot of people out there that I've talked to who thought they would love working from home. It just sounded great. And then they start doing it and they recognize that's not really for them after all. They just don't thrive in that situation. There are distractions that they didn't think about or just whatever their situation might be. They just didn't realize how much they thrived in the office versus in the home. Right. So I guess I I would prefer that that process be smooth and seamless in less than a year. But if I stop to think about it, we are at less than a year and it it's a big change for a lot of people. I call it my frosted side and my whole wheat side. So mm -hmm. if I'm off my frosted entitled side and put on my whole wheat side, I guess I would say that it does take a while to get to know yourself and to admit your flaws to yourself. And if we're going to be kind and gentle to the people that care for us out there, the medical field and the medical professionals, we do need to give people time to understand how they work best and to get themselves up and running in that situation. So definitely it's a change for everybody. But I was able to see a doctor who was very far away this week that I never would have been able to see most likely if we weren't in a setting where that doctor was able to see me virtually. And, and it was a boon for me. I was very glad to be able to see that particular doctor whom I never would have been able to converse with, probably would never have had the time for me if this weren't becoming more of a standard and more of a norm. Even though I've been doing virtual calls with friends and people like that because I'm, I'm home a lot just due to having Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, this is something I've been doing for years now, a lot of other people, including, fortunately for us, medical professionals, are getting on that technology. And we do have access to a, a lot of big brains out there, which is great news for a community like ours. Yeah, I think. And it's necessary. And it segues me into another 
field that should be a part of your treatment team, talking about getting to know yourself and kind of knowing how to deal with things is the psychiatry and psychology side of things. Whether that person is a social worker, you need somebody to talk to. It gets very overwhelming trying to process not only how your body is functioning with the chronic pain, but then everything else that happens in daily life. And people go into pain as like a mental thing or mind over matter kind of situation where you can try to outthink it, that kind of stuff. It doesn't really work that way. Although pain is, pain is definitely perceived in the brain. I think that knowing how to process it and knowing how to divert your energy and being able to allow your body to have the energy to deal with everything, physical pain, as well as the emotional toll and the psychological toll that it takes on you. Your brain only has so much to give. So I feel like that's another category to have in your treatment team is definitely to help with the mental health aspect of it, just being able to deal with the day to day. I'm going to raise my hand on that real quick and interject. Uh, A shout out to another podcast and say that I listened to my favorite murder and one of the podcasters there, well, both of the podcasters there, but in particular, Georgia Hardstark is, she's a big uh, proponent of mental health and I'm right behind her. I absolutely think everyone should see somebody about mental health. I think it's Mm -hmm. something that we all overlook, but especially within the chronic pain community, I notice for myself that there are times when I'm unaware that I'm in pain and I react to it, even though I'm unaware of it. So I don't recognize my pain because it's the same pain that was there yesterday. And it's the same pain that was there last month. And it's the same pain that was there last year. And it's just building, 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 and it builds by increments. So I don't necessarily pay attention to it every day, or I would never get anything done with my day but it affects how I behave. Perhaps I'm a little more irritable or short-tempered. It takes a toll on my family. It takes a toll on my relationships, my friendships, myself, whether or not I want to get outside, whether or not I want to get that vitamin D from the sun, get myself moving, or stay inside and get on my stationary bike. I have a stationary recumbent bike that I use just for a few minutes a day sometimes. And sometimes I feel like that's too much. But it helps to have that conversation with those mental health professionals just to get out what's going on in my day, even if it's not that big a deal or I don't feel like I've got something huge going on. Just talking about it to somebody makes such a difference. I really can't advocate enough for having a mental health professional in your cadre. I really can't. Yeah. It's definitely important. And I think we've seen that as a society over the last year, how much mental health has affected our society in terms of how people are dealing or not dealing with the situation that's being presented. Absolutely. And meditate if you're into that. Yeah. I, and I, it helps a lot. It helps with that mind uh, piece that you're talking about, the perception mm-hmm. of pain. It certainly helps me. I find it makes a big difference for me in mm-hmm. keeping my mind from perceiving pain as overwhelming, I guess I would say. Right. And I do know that there are, I should have looked this up. There are apps out there that free apps and free websites that are guided meditation options and things like that. So it's a great place to start. For example, I listen to, I listen to our podcast. I listen to it on Spotify. Hey, I have to, cause I never know what I said. Uh, <laughs> I find it on Spotify and there are lots of guided meditations on Spotify, several that I use. If you want to go out and find me on Spotify, if you follow me, 
I have lots of playlists that have meditations that I use for sleep and for pain and for a lot of other ones. And you can find them right there. And I'm happy to have you just take them right out of my whatever you call that thing. Your playlist? I'm sure. We'll call it that. Okay. Back to you. Okay. Oh, continue. <laughs> um, okay. So then to kind of switch it now to the more physical side, um, we just talked about the mental side of things. Now to switch it over to the physical side of things, people that would be beneficial to have from a mechanical standpoint, a PT, OT, definitely uh, somebody who has some manual skills. I know we talked about this um, in a previous podcast in terms of my approach as a physical therapist. Explain for our listeners what an OT is, please. Yes. Yeah, so occupational OT is occupational therapist. An occupational therapist and a physical therapist are different, but are in the same realm. Physical therapist works on a lot of the physical, mechanical things and works head to toe. An occupational therapist, and I... And the occupational therapists that I've worked with have always been exceptional. So I have a very high standard for my, for my OTs. They look at it from a more functional standpoint. They look at helping a patient be able to work step by step in being able to accomplish a specific task, whether it be cooking, whether it start to work on some of the cognitive pieces. Um, and I do want to add to this little realm of therapy as a speech therapist. Um, a lot of people who experience EDS and chronic pain have brain fog. And sometimes being able to tease through some of that cognitive fatigue and work on different activities to be able to improve brain function, speech therapists are excellent for that. Occupational therapists are excellent for that. Occupational therapists also tend to have more training in the vision side of things. They also work with a lot of people that I know have the hypermobility in their hands. And so they have difficulty with the fine motor tasks like writing and eating. And so occupational therapists are really good at modifying and coming up with strategies to help stabilize that, whether it be with ring splints or modifications to your utensils. And I mean, they go in a much deeper level in terms of putting it all together. And I've always been very big advocate and being a collaborative team when it comes to, to that aspect of things with therapy. I feel like it blends together and it kind of melds and it's more of like a spectrum versus a delineation between the therapies. If you can find a clinic that has all three and where those therapists really work well together, definitely take advantage of that. Um, I had that when I worked in a clinic. And I was very fortunate with the occupational and speech therapists that I was able to be collaborative with in my team to bounce ideas off of and, and kind of do everything with that. Also, some people, <laughs> now I've given my big spiel about therapy side of things. Some people uh, love chiropractors. Personal opinion, chiropractors, not the ideal for high velocity manipulations in the EDS population. Just because, and that's where it's like the poppy cracky stuff, just because you've already lost some stability because your ligaments are not holding things stable. I tend to edge on the side of caution um, and conservative treatment with any type of adjustments that need to be made. But I'm not negating that chiropractic pr practitioners are very skilled in what they do. And sometimes that's what's called for. And I've seen discussions on the Facebook pages that people really love their chiropractor and it helps make them feel better. So I'm not going to say don't do it because they are out there and sometimes those skills are 
warranted. I think I would throw in um, my hat on that to say uh, I have I've seen both sides of that conversation or debate, if you want to call it. I've seen a lot of people in Ehlers-Danlos support groups say, no, never, never go to a, a chiropractor. And I've seen a lot of people retort with, I have a chiropractor and I love my chiropractor and they're the only person that's been able to help me. If I were going to go out and seek one ever again, I would definitely want a person who was a collaborative with me in terms of me being able to explain my personal experience with my body. I would really want to feel like that person listened, understood, and and knew what I was talking about if I didn't get a feeling that they understood hypermobility at, at a minimum and at a maximum and really understood Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, I, I would not, I would not go forward mm-hmm. unless they were willing to learn. If they did understand all of these things and were willing to take the most conservative approach possible to relieve my symptoms, then I think, you know, that that's something that I would then consider. Right. And I think it's it, it's something just to kind of keep in the back of your mind in terms of this may be something that you need at some point. I don't know, I'm just throwing it out there because, like I said, I know that people, you know, some we've seen the same probably the same conversations is like some people really like their chiropractor. Some people are like, oh, my God, don't do it. What I would suggest is that you don't do both chiropractic and PT at the same time. What tends to happen, whatever um, adjustments are being made. One of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to be double dipping and it's going to potentially over inflame and over adjust and create more instability, or they're going to be button heads against each other. So I'll fix something one way and then the chiropractor does the opposite and nothing changes. So I would say whatever you do, just don't do both at the same time unless they are really coordinating with each other as to what's happening during your sessions. Okay, so go down the list a little bit more. Um, I would also look into an orthopedic doctor being able to see structurally what's going on with x-rays, MRIs. Again, a primary care doctor can order those things, but having somebody from the ortho side of things can be beneficial. If you're having any kind of tingling and numbing and a neurologist is another big one that I would definitely have in your wheelhouse. There's so many comorbidities that go along with EDS and other chronic pain syndromes that either originate from a neurological standpoint or are exacerbated because of something else going on. You know, tethered cord syndrome, Chiari malformations, those are those are two big neurological presentations that affect how you move and how you function and how you feel. So I would definitely have a neurologist in your wheelhouse. And then kind of more on the internal side of things, there's a big vascular component with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, So having a cardiologist, make sure your heart is safe and functional. They tend to be able to kind of look at the whole body, not just the heart sometimes. So then, you know, going to a specific vein clinic um, and vascular doctor maybe overkill but you, you know again depending on the resources that you have in your area a vascular doctor may be beneficial i think also i just wanted to add that the vein clinic with a cardiologist may be overkill for some types of ehlers danlos syndrome mm-hmm. i was diagnosed with genetically with the classical type of ehlers danlos syndrome which supposedly is 
not a vascular type, does not have vascular problems or components. However, uh, as I mentioned before, my father died of a vascular event. He died of an aortic root rupture when he was 48. And I had an aortic rupture when I was 33. I was on vacation in Italy. So we'll talk more about that one day. It was big, exciting times. So with classical Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and, and I, at the time when this happened, it was 2007, they said that it was very unusual, highly unusual, but it had happened to my father. It has actually happened to a few other of my ancestors, as I've found out going through my history. I don't want to scare anybody by saying, you know, Ehlers-Danlos has vascular components. Uh, Ehlers-Danlos can have vascular components, and mm -hmm. it is my personal opinion that almost any kind of Ehlers-Danlos could potentially have vascular components. So now that's just my own personal opinion, and I'm really trying to get professionals on board with that line of thinking, because if EDS is affecting your tissues, I just don't understand how it could not affect your vascular tissue as well. But far be it for me, I'm not a medical professional. So I personally, no matter what kind of EDS I had, would want to at least be checked by a vascular yeah. doctor or a cardiologist with some sort of regularity, just to be sure. Yeah. Now in my personal cadre, I at vascular, cardio, cardio, lymphedema. I've got all those vein specialists on, in in my personal, but but I have experienced actual, you know, ar arterial mm. ruptures. So it's a little for me, but, you know, some people go all their lives, have hypermobility, Ehlers-Danlos, let's say, and they never have a vascular event or never have a problem vascularly at all. Um, there are a lot of people who, who have other various kinds of Ehlers-Danlos um, there's a, a vision kind, I know, a, a vision strain, there's a, a dental strain. And I think a lot of those people don't have any kind of vascular issue, can go through their entire lives without those kinds of issues. So not to frighten people who have a diagnosis, that does not happen to everybody. What happened to me does not happen to everybody. But I believe that there is a small chance that mm -hmm. that kind could potentially happen. And I can tell you now, you don't want it to happen to you. So I would at least get checked yeah. just to find out. Yeah. And I think that just from, from my perspective and the patients that I see, even ones that are more hypermobile type, there is a vascular component in terms of they see increased swelling more easily and that, you know, it's harder to get rid of fluid as easily. So it's not that there's necessarily a total compromise of the vascular system. However, it does have a tendency to be a little bit more difficult for regulation purposes, even with the hypermobile type. I mean, you definitely get the potsy stuff going on and things like that. So it's definitely good to, to get it checked out. It's just a matter of how much in intervention that you would need to address your situation. And then just a couple other internal people, a good gynecologist, a good OB for if you get pregnant, that helping you along with it because pregnancy does tend to make things a little bit more uncomfortable. Um, I'm not going to say more complicated, but more uncomfortable because your body is trying to stretch at the same time, hold it together. <laughs> so from, right. from my perspective in the patients that I see that added excess of stress, you want to make sure that somebody is helping you manage that safely. You know, you want a good gastroenterologist and a urologist for all of those bodily function pieces. 
um, I tend to hear, mm-hmm. you know, there's complications and things like that make it a little bit more difficult sometimes with processing going to the bathroom. Sure. And a couple other supplemental doctors that you really want to consider and that may be pertinent to your situation would be a dentist, um, an allergist, and a dermatologist. Things that happen as a reaction to something. I tend to notice that my EDS patients are a little bit more hypersensitive to their environment, to foods, things like that. So you want to make sure that how your body reacts to different things doesn't go overkill because the whole thing that we want to do is to maintain homeostasis. We don't want your body fluctuating into flare up and calm down constantly because it burns so much energy. So trying to find a better level ground is good. And also you mentioned the lymphedema specialists with being able to manage that fluid buildup and things like that tends to to help make you feel better because then you again you're regulating how much fluid you're holding on to which makes it difficult to move. And my last thing about your treatment team is not necessarily a doctor, but it is a vital piece of the puzzle is your support system. So whether that be spouse, friends, parent, getting on those support groups with on Facebook, anything like that, you need that support system. Without it, it is so much because your body is already struggling to function. And then the added stress of trying to navigate it alone is too much. So finding a support system, a group of strangers, a friend, a family member, whatever it is, find that piece. That's part of your treatment team because that is going to be what gets you through all of this other stuff. Yep. Those were my quick... I don't want to say quick, but that was my list. This is, again, just a scratching of the surface kind of thing. We can go so much deeper into each of these topics and and into each of these specialties. But just to kind of give you a a jumping off point to know how to start planning, navigating this. And it can be very difficult. I know there are two or three things that my doctor wants me to go see specialists for and my reply to her was well when I'm already seeing so many doctors when do you want me to go see these other people and I don't even have a job right now I'm not working all I'm doing is seeing specialists that's all I do all week long we also want to preface every or I guess we're not prefacing we're we're epiloguing um <laughs> the <laughs> these these doctors are not somebody you need to see every week or every month or you may see them once every five years. I get an MRI scan once every couple of years. They're just people that you want to be aware of. You want to have someone that you know when you need them, you can contact them. I had a recent hives breakout that lasted six weeks and I didn't have a good allergist on my team at that time. Um, Now I do, but it would have been great had I had one at that moment. Uh, Mm -hmm. Probably would have saved me a couple of weeks of itchy hives. So we don't want to overwhelm you with, you know, you need this person and you need that person. You may or may not need all of these people, or you just may need to have them in the wings should you ever need them. I think this has been a good, good spot to start with. There may be other doctors that these, these people will lead you to or recommend to you that you may even find more valuable but I think this will be, as Dr. Elena said, a good jumping off point and may give everyone a, a lot to chew on, a lot to think about. Also wanted to talk about hearing from you. We did hear from a listener who wants to talk more about tethered cord syndrome. 
So we're going to go into that in one of our future episodes. Uh, we already had this one planned, so we did not go into it this time, but uh, we did we did get your feedback. We heard you, and we will be going into that later. Uh, if you have something that you want us to talk about or you want to talk about with us, write us, let us know. It's dazzledoctor at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. We are very excited that we've got a group of listeners as uh, committed and as wonderful as you guys are. So super excited about that. Make sure that you look for our next episodes. Our goal is to have an episode for you every other week. We are trying to get them out on Thursdays. So now that we've put that out there, we're committed, Dr. Elena. We're every we're other Thursday. <laughs> That's right. We're locked and loaded. You can find us on most major podcast forums. Yeah. My favorite is Spotify, but there's Stitcher. There's Apple. Uh, Apple Pod. Anchor. I think you had a couple of, what was it? Anchor. Anchor. Mm-hmm. Anchor um, I think there were a couple of others that you mentioned to me. There, there's a lot. There are a lot of places to find podcasts and we're on them. If we're not, if there's one that you like, I mean, I don't know how you're listening to this. If you didn't have, if you I, I wouldn't know how you'd found us then, but if you did and you want us on a different venue, you let us know and we'll get there. That's it for us today. Make sure that you find us on Facebook and uh, on Instagram at Dazzle Doctor. We're still working on Twitter because we're still caught up in the whole Twitter mess. You guys know what I'm talking about. All right. We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you later.